Morning again. As I said, today is a bittersweet day. As we commission and uh, say goodbye, at least in the in the normal what we've been experiencing relationship with Philip and Nicole. Philip has actually graciously agreed to continue on as our lead, our youth uh, only part, uh, but he's going to be released from his Sunday duties until we find a. Uh, suitable replacement. So I, I thank him for that. The crosses will no longer be with us on, on Sunday mornings. And I'm, I'm going to begin this time by asking one of the, the youth, uh, someone that's been in the youth group the entire time, I believe, that Philip has been with us, to, to share a little uh, testimony with us. So Ascension, if you would come. Yes, yes, that's good. I failed. I already knocked her notes down. I'll get those for you. Thank you. Okay. So for those of you who do not know me, my name is Ascension. Um, I've been in the youth group here at Bridges for around three, three and a half years. Um, And within these few years, I've become very close with both Philip and Nicole. Um, both Philip and Nicole have impacted me in multiple ways, from helping me in my walk with the Lord to just being there for me at all times. I think that I can speak on behalf of the youth group and maybe even the congregation as a whole when I say that um, both Philip and Nicole make it very clear and evident that they care. There's been many times when there was something going on that was affecting me in a negative way, and Philip went out of his way to cheer me up or talk with me about it. Philip isn't just the youth pastor who taught us about the Bible and how to live as a follower of Christ, but he's a youth pastor who grew a personal relationship with each student. He's very intentional to be involved in our everyday lives and strives to have a personal relationship with each and every one of us in the youth group. Not only have we experienced the loving and caring Philip, but we've also experienced the Philip who chases us around in a gorilla suit or a yeti suit and even dressed up as a zombie. Every camp, Philip would put together a huge game that would involve one of these things that I've previously listed. And when you think of the word fun, getting, close, getting chased by around, around by a gorilla um, may not be the first thing that comes to mind, but I can assure you that we all had a great time. Um, we also had the chance to enjoy when Philip dug a five-foot hole at the beach and hid in it while the lifeguards came to tell us to fill it back up. So as you can imagine, this hole was huge, and when those lifeguards started driving up in their truck, what does Philip do? Yes, he ducks down in this giant hole that he's dug up. Not to mention as the entire youth group is standing around not knowing what to do. For any of those who have any concerns, don't worry, it gets better. So after the lifeguards honk the horn a couple times, Philip finally pops his head out. And after all of his hard work digging this giant hole, we had to fill it back up as the lifeguards sat in their truck watching us the entire time. <laughs> so as you can tell, Philip and Nicole have been nothing short of great to the youth group. The, the past years with both Philip and Nicole have been such a blessing for all of us. We are all very thankful for them and everything that they have done for us. And as this time may be hard to see them go, I think we ought to be filled with joy as we begin this new journey in life to bring glory to God. I'm excited to see how many more lives they are going to impact in this next step of faith. Join me in warm regards um, as we send them out to live out the Great Commission. Thank you. You got it. Thank you, Ascension. That was 
awesome, very representative, I think, of, of what many of the youth would say about Philip. But let me just say, I knew nothing about any zombies, so, so I don't know. I, I had heard about the gorillas, but this zombie thing is new. Uh, all right, let's let it go. All right. I've had the privilege of working closely with Philip for the past uh, uh, three years. He's sitting right there, and I can actually see him. My eyes, I don't know who's sitting back there, but I do know who's sitting here. Uh, He's been a great help, a great encouragement to to the ministry at Bridges and to me personally. He's, yes, he's young enough uh, to be my son, but I've learned much from him. He's actually the same age as my daughter. Uh, Okay. He's been a great partner in ministry, and I appreciate him uh, beyond words. And today we send uh, him and his wife out to continue the work that God has called them to. It's an an extension, a sending out, a going forth, the work of of planting, of of starting a new church in uh, Moreno Valley. And we also, and maybe some of this this will become news to some of you, we're also sending with them uh, the Buckbinder family, of which Ascension is, is part the Buckbinders have been an important part of Bridges for, for many years, maybe 20 plus, something like that. They've used their time and their talents and their treasures to minister to this body in many ways. And now they've decided to join Philip and Nicole in this new ministry in uh, Moval. So this is not an easy day uh, for us at Bridges. The crosses and the Buckbinders are, are part of this body and it's difficult to lose part of yourself, part of who you are. But, but this isn't a new experience for us, is it? We've done it before. We've sent our members to further God's kingdom to different parts of the world, to, from Japan to Italy, Afghanistan, Pennsylvania, and then Denver, the Doherty's. Now we're sending Philip and Nicole great distance to Moreno Valley. So this is not easy for us, but, but we've experienced this before. This sending is, I believe, a sign of a, a healthy church, a church that's ready, willing, and able to obey the Great Commission and send out some of their very best. We always say we send out our best, but that's kind of, we keep some of the best here, some of you guys. And as we have experienced in the past, I think we look forward to what God will do among us in the future. Part of the body is moving on, but God will continue to work in our midst. Amen? And we pray that he will continue to raise up others, like the crosses, like the buckbinders, that we can continue to be ascending church, that we continue to see God's kingdom expand in this world. Now today I want to us to send the crosses and the buckbinders out with words of encouragement and words of exhortation. I want, to, I want to impart to them a message from God's Word that will help them, I believe, and strengthen them for what is to come. Because church planning involves, it involves time, it involves blood and sweat and tears and effort, sacrifice and pain and probably some suffering. Church planning is, is difficult, hard work. It's not for the faint of heart. And as I thought and prayed about it, as I read through Scripture, 
The words that God gave me for this commissioning are found in Psalm 63. Coincidentally, we're going through the Psalms now, so that's where I spent most of my time reading. So let me read them to you. It begins, a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wing, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. These, I believe, are words of encouragement, words of hope. Words of strength. The, the introduction to Psalm 83 says that these words were written by David when he was in the wilderness. Psalm 63 is a psalm of David. So, so let, me, let, me, let me get to the... So before, ah, sorry. Before we get to the words that he wrote, let me ask you a question. When you think about David, what comes to mind? What do you think about when you think about David? And you can respond. A shepherd, okay. Goliath, a a giant slayer. Uh, Bathsheba, a sinner, David was. Say that again. Alive, emotion, compassion. Somebody said a king, a soldier, a warrior. Say that again. A man who loved God. Anything else? Angst. Okay, I have to look that up, but I'm sure it's true. All right. No, I know what it means. So he was all of those things and more. But the thing about David that I want to focus on this morning, the thing that I think we see clearly as we read his words, the words he wrote in Psalm 63, is that Uh, Someone said he loved God. Uh, The scripture says David was a man after God's own heart. Now, why do we say that David was a man after God's own heart? Because the scripture says it. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, if you know the story, Saul, the first king of Israel, is, is rejected by God. He's rejected as king because he performed an unlawful sacrifice. And in verse 14 of chapter 13, the prophet Samuel comes to Uh, Saul, and he says, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you, Samuel says to Saul. And that man after God's own heart was David. And what we find in Psalm 63 are, are words that I believe give us a glimpse into the heart of a man after God's own heart. 
Words that I believe can help Philip and Nicole and the Buckbinders and each one of us understand and pursue being men and women after God's own heart. So David, a man after God's own heart, wrote Psalm 63. And notice he wrote it when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Commentators aren't sure which, which one of David's times in the wilderness he wrote this uh, psalm. Could have been in his younger days when he was fleeing from King Saul. After King Saul heard that he had a guy to replace him and found out it was David, he, he tried to kill David and David was in the wilderness. Or later, after he was king, when he had to flee from his own son, Absalom. But in either case, David is in the wilderness and he's running for his life. In verse 9, which we read, But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. What I want us to see is that, that the words of Psalm 63 were written in a, in a time of difficulty, a time of struggle. David is in the wilderness, and either Saul or his son Absalom, his own son, is trying to kill him. It doesn't get much more difficult than that. So what we see in Psalm 63 is David's response in this extreme difficulty, in this wilderness, his response to fear, his response to pain, his response to suffering and sacrifice. And I believe there's a special word here for the crosses, for the buckbinders, as they enter the wilderness, and yes, it is a wilderness, of Moreno Valley. We might think that, we might think that no one is, is seeking to destroy their lives, and that, from one perspective, is certainly true. Uh, as far as I know, no human beings are trying to kill Philip or the others. But from another perspective... Maybe the more important perspective, the spiritual perspective, they'll be facing an enemy who's seeking to destroy not only their ministry, but their lives. The Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, 8, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour. The devil, not the guy with the red pitchfork, but the real one, Lucifer, the fallen angel, Satan, would like nothing better than to, va- to devour those who want to start a new church. He hates good Bible-teaching, Bible-believing, Bible-applying churches. He hates churches that reach out in their community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He hates church planners because they, in a special way, are seeking to break into new territory, things that he may think he has a hold on already. But it's not just church planners he hates. Anyone who wants to be used by God to further his kingdom will face his opposition, will face difficulty and suffering and sacrifice. It's promised. There's an enemy who's seeking to destroy our lives. And so what I want to do is to look at David, this man after God's own heart, look at his response in the midst of this difficulty. Where does he turn? What does he do? My prayer is that as we examine David's words from the wilderness, that the crosses, the buckbinders, you and I, will be instructed, will be motivated, will be empowered and encouraged and strengthened to move forward and to embrace the calling that God puts on your life. And even in the midst of great difficulty, because when you start to move forward in the calling God places on your life, that's when the difficulty comes. So in the midst of this difficulty, 
That we would be men and women after God's own heart. That we would respond like David did in Psalm 63. So in the wilderness, in the midst of opposition and pain and suffering, I seeking to kill him, the first thing that the man after God's own heart does is seek after the Lord. Seek after the Lord. Verse 1, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's passionate. It's powerful. Notice that David wasn't seeking after the Lord because he didn't already know him. David says, oh God, you are my God. God has already given himself to David. They have a relationship. David is in a real relationship with the living God. And that relationship drove him to earnest seeking of more of the Lord. He knew the Lord. He had tasted, he had seen that the Lord is good, he writes in Psalm 34, verse 8. And he wanted and he needed more of God in his life. Pastor and author A.W. Tozer understood this taste of God that, that drives you to more seeking. He wrote, O oh God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. O oh God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made thirsty still. That's the kind of hunger we need. The Lord. David had tasted the Lord, and his taste had both satisfied him and left him longing for more. David had, and, and we need an unquenchable thirst for the living God in our life. Notice he didn't seek God to impress others, he didn't seek God because it was his duty, it was a, a, a rules he had to follow. He didn't seek God so God would make him a better king. He sought after the Lord because his soul thirsted for him. His flesh fainted for God. There was a craving. In the midst of his wilderness experience, he longed for God's loving touch on his life. He uses the picture of physical thirst to describe the depth of this longing. A dry and weary land. A land with no water. Can you imagine the thirst? Water, water, give me water. Have you ever been so thirsty, all you could think about was getting to a drink somewhere? When Christine and I were in Hawaii, not really a dry and weary land, we went on a, a, a two-mile hike. Really, it was a four-mile. two miles there and two miles back. From one beautiful beach to another secluded beautiful beach, Two, one mile up and, and one mile back down. Four miles in all, coming back and forth. It's very hot. It's very humid. And, as, and we had to climb up for a mile and then climb down for a mile. And on the way there, the first two miles, the two miles there, the hike was, it was fine. We had a camel pack, if you know what those are, those things that uh, uh, my wife carries on her back, not me. She, she's, the, she's the pack mule. The, the camel pack, uh, full of water. Every time I got tired, I would say, whoa, honey, I, I need a drink. You think I'm kidding, but she has to kind of carry me over these hikes. Uh, yeah. She loves them. I go because I love her. Uh, so it was fine on the way there. But on the way back, two miles back, remember, uh, we quickly ran out of water. And it was terrible. 
All I could think about was getting back to the water. Somewhere there had to be water at this other beach. The, the beauty of I mean, because this was along, the, if you've ever been to Kauai, along the Nepali coastline, one of the most beautiful places in the world. I didn't notice any of the beauty on the way back. All I could think about was water. My flesh was fainting. I was, see, I was seeking a drink of fresh, cold water. Now, and, and that's how earnest, maybe even more, because you know, I could have survived a little longer. That's how earnest David is about seeking after the Lord. Nothing is going to get in his way. God is his ultimate treasure. God is that fresh, cool water that would refresh him. With all of his soul, David wanted more and more of the reality of God's presence in his life. And that drove him to earnest, heartfelt seeking. David was a man after God's own heart because he earnestly, with everything he had, sought after God. Nothing nothing left behind. And we too need, must be earnestly seeking the Lord with everything we have. We have to spend time in, in His Word. That's where He's revealed Himself to us. In prayer, he'll, he'll meet us, listening to and following His Spirit that He's given us. Not so we'll be better Christians. Not so we'll be better pastors or church planners, even though we will but because our souls thirst for him. Pray, God, God, give me a thirst for you. That's the, that's the key that will unlock everything in your life. If you thirst for God, if you hunger for God, if God is your greatest treasure, that's why David was a man after God's own heart. And you might say, uh, what if I'm not thirsty for the Lord? What if my flesh doesn't faint for his touch? What if I'm just okay like it is, getting a little dose of God here and there, Maybe I come to church, go to a Bible study, pull out the Bible, read my five minutes a day. That's good enough for me. Then I would say start doing the things that make you thirsty. We get physically thirsty when we exercise physically, when we go on hikes and such. And we get spiritually thirsty when we exercise spiritually. When we step out in faith when we take a risk, when we, when we put ourselves in places where we cannot succeed without the Lord in our life. For the crosses, for the buckbinders, I pray that planning a church in Reno Valley will drive them to the Lord, will drive them to seeking the Lord like they've never done before. And I believe it will. And for us, I pray that we will increase our efforts to move out in ministry in, in this community that will reach out in ways that, that we think, that, that's really, I can't do that. Well, that's, that's, that's where you need to go. Attempt the impossible, that we might be, like David, thirsty and desperate for the Lord's presence in our lives, that he can help us. So first, the man or woman, after God's own heart, earnestly seeks after the Lord. And you know what seeking leads to? Because God is good. You know, he doesn't play hide and seek forever. Seeking leads to seeing. So second, the man after God's own heart uh, will gaze upon the Lord. Verse 2, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. So David earnestly sought the Lord, and in the sanctuary he beheld. 
he saw God's power and glory. That word beholding really means to gaze intently at, to stare, to focus on. To not focus on your pain and your suffering and your difficulty, but to intently gaze at the Lord. David says, okay, I I may be suffering here in the wilderness. There may be those who are seeking to destroy my life, but I can see Jesus. I can see his power and his glory. I can see the victory he provided on the cross. I can see that he will overcome my pain and my trouble and my difficulty. I can see that he will empower me for the ministry that he calls me to. Notice that David was gazing at the Lord in the sanctuary. The sanctuary is where the people of God gather for for worship. For us, that's the church. It's where we are today. And it's where God shows his power and his glory. It's not the only place, but it's the place David refers to here. I think David is saying that God will demonstrate his power and glory in our lives together. Uh, We will see God as he works in the lives of those around us as he transforms us into the people he's called us to be, into people after his own heart. So I pray for us at Bridges, and I pray for this new church plan in Moreno Valley, that as we gather together, as you gather together, that you will gaze intently upon the Lord, that he'll be the focus And that you might see his power and glory come through. That it will be revealed in many ways. It will be revealed in the lives of his people. So second, the man or woman after God's own heart gazes upon the Lord. And third, they experience the love of the Lord. They experience the love of the Lord. This isn't something you do. This is something you allow to be done to you. It's so important. It's so very important. Maybe this is the most important thing I'm going to say this morning. It's so important that you allow God to love you. Let him love you all the time, but especially in times of difficulty. Run to him. Let his love surround you. This is what a man or woman after God's own heart will do. In times of trouble and in times of tranquility, they run to the one who offers steadfast love. Why? In verse 3, David says, Because your steadfast love is better than life. Your steadfast love is better than life. David, in a time of great difficulty, experiences, he's experiencing the love of God. He says, I've experienced your steadfast love, and I've concluded it's better than life. It's better than living. It's better than anything. That phrase, steadfast love, is the Hebrew word, Blank, come on. You get, say it. Hesed. Right, good. Somebody's been listening. We've talked about this like 20 times as we've went through the Psalms. If you were here at Elevate last, last time, that was the whole focus of my time at least, that word hesed. We talked about hesed. It's love without limits. It's, it's amazing. It's hard to translate in English. It's, it's love and it's mercy and it's grace and it's kindness and it's long-suffering. It's what God pours out on his people. And David concludes, it's better than anything this world has to offer. I'd rather die, he says, than live without God's steadfast love in my life. So church planners 
and the rest of us, when things are not going so well, when we experience pain and suffering, even tragedy, if we're thinking, oh, is this thing going to go or not go? Am am, am I going to fail or not fail? Our place of refuge is always the steadfast love of the Lord, God's presence and His love. The man or woman after God's own heart will experience, he'll run to, allow the love of God to enter in. And for those who experience God's steadfast love, for men and women after His own heart, there's really only one response. And that's our fourth point this morning. Uh, Simple, straightforward, clear, worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. Verse 3 continues, my lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. David is sought after. He's gazed upon the Lord. He's experiencing the love of the Lord, the steadfast love of the Lord in his life, and that leads him to worship in, in, in three ways here. First, with his lips. His lips will praise the Lord. This means just words are coming out of his mouth about God, about how awesome God is. He's he's praising God. He's telling others about God. This is not just worship. This is also witnessing to the world, praising with your lips. Second, he'll bless the Lord as long as he lives. That word blessed, we've talked about that before. It comes up in the Psalms a lot. means to kneel before. It means to bless too, but it's derived from kneeling before. And I take that to mean that David will worship the Lord by kneeling before, by surrendering himself before. When you kneel before someone, you're surrendering yourself to them. By kneeling before the Lord, he's giving him everything. I belong to you. I worship you with my all, with everything, as long as I live. He'll always kneel before the Lord in worship. And finally... In the name of the Lord, he says, because of who God is and what he's done, that, that, that in the name of the Lord means a description of who God is. It's not just a word, a name. David says, I will lift up my hands. Lifting up hands is, a, is that sign of a directing your prayers and your praise to the Lord. David's life, everything he is, will focus on the Lord. He involves his lips, his knees, his hands. It's a whole body experience of worshiping the Lord. Worship must be central to what we as individuals and as a church, what we do. Glorifying God for who He is and what He's done. Worship must be the focus of of the church, of our church, of the church plant in Reno Valley. The number one overarching priority and the quality of men and women after God's own heart and churches after God's own heart is worship. Bringing glory to God in all that we do, in all that we say. Praising Him in this room when we gather on Sunday mornings. Praising Him in our jobs. Praising Him wherever we are. We're talking about Jesus and what He's done for us. So forth, worship the Lord. And fifth, be satisfied by the Lord. Be satisfied by the Lord. No place would I rather be than here in your arms. That song of satisfaction in the Lord. Make that be true for you, not just words that we sing. My soul, he says in verse 5, will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. What a great picture of Satisfaction. Clearly, 
David had experienced with, was experienced with the satisfaction that comes from eating a good meal. Right? Have you ever had that experience? So last week, Christine and I went to a restaurant called uh, Saltgrass Steakhouse. Anybody ever been there? there it's, a, it's a chain. It's out of Texas. They, Dad, they, I shouldn't say this. My dad doesn't drink anymore, but they do serve Lone Star beer. I asked. I didn't take one. Uh, but I ordered the cowboy ribeye. <laughs> no A1 steak sauce allowed on the cowboy ribeye. A 24-ounce steak covered with butter. And that's not, and that's not all. For sides, I got a baked potato with all the fixings. And that most delectable, rich food that I love, home, not, not craft, but real, macaroni and cheese, amen? And for dessert, I had some brownie cookie ice cream thing. It was gooey and delicious. And let me tell you, I was extremely satisfied <laughs> after eating just two-thirds of that meal. Christine and I split that meal, just so you know. I wasn't eating the whole thing. But when we split, it means I get two-thirds, she gets one-third. That, well, that's not funny. That's fair. Uh, I am at least two-thirds larger than her. I don't know if the math is right. And like the satisfaction that comes, the satisfaction, and, and let's not add the sickness because that's part of, part of the food thing, but not part of the God thing. The satisfaction that the body gets from eating a great meal David says, my soul, my inner being is satisfied by the Lord. I, I can't, you know, it's this, I'm thirsty for the Lord, but he's satisfying so much. It's a paradox and it's an awesome. The question is, what is your soul satisfied by? Remember, we have an enemy. And that enemy is seeking to destroy your life. Sometimes he attacks from the front. Sometimes he brings in difficulty and pain and suffering and tough times. He wants us to become depressed and isolated. He wants us to be away from others, to forget about God, to think God doesn't love us. But he has another more common, I believe, and deceptive form of attack. He attacks with false satisfaction, with unreal satisfaction. He deceives us into believing we can find satisfaction in the things of this world, in, in, the, in people and in power and position and possessions. Ran out of peas, so I went to... And in sex and in drugs and in rock and roll and entertainment. We can find satisfaction in those things. Maybe, maybe or, or not just maybe, for sure, for a pastor or a church planner... We're tempted to seek our satisfaction in the, in the number of people who come to our church. Notice our church. I know this is my constant struggle, and I pray against it for my brother Philip. Because the man after God's own heart knows true satisfaction is found not in the world, not in the things of this world, not in prestige or power, not even in the good things of this world, not even in the gifts of God. True satisfaction comes but from one place, from the presence of the Lord in your life. The enemy, he'll offer temporary, earthly satisfaction, but God fully, eternally satisfies us with nothing but his presence in our lives. 
with his steadfast love, with his power, with his glory. And the result is praise to God and joy in your life. Let's go together. When we're praising the Lord, it's a joy. David says, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Not being forced to sing. I'm, uh, the joy is just pouring forth. When we seek our satisfaction in the Lord, he satisfies. And his satisfaction produces this, this joy. It, it wells up within us. Joy that can't be contained. It must, it must go forth in the praise of our lips. So a man or a woman, after God's own heart, seeks their satisfaction in the Lord. Now, how do we do that? I think the answer follows. I think David is, is instructing here as well as just praising and, and, and sharing uh, from his heart. We do that by w- when we think about the Lord. Think about the Lord. Back to verse 5, just to give the context. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when, underline when, because that's saying when something happens, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. David says he's satisfied the Lord by the Lord and he experiences joy-filled praise when, when he remembers the Lord upon his bed. When he meditates, he thinks about, he dwells on the Lord in the watches of the night. David is saying that he's satisfied by the Lord when he's thinking about the Lord, when he earnestly seeks him, when he gazes intently upon him, when he kneels before him in worship, when his thoughts are on the Lord. And we too have to make every effort to turn our thoughts to the Lord because this world is so full of freaking distractions. They're everywhere. The enemy will seek to distract us with life's difficulties and with life's pleasures. From both sides, we're getting it. We have to constantly, we have to be disciplined to turn our thoughts to the Lord, to spend time in His Word, to spend time in His presence, to spend time meditating, thinking about Him. We remember what He's done in our lives. We have to remember what He's given us, that He's redeemed us from the pit, right? He's taken us out. He's saved us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we meditate continually on how great He is. David remembers and meditates on the Lord. He constantly thinks about Him. And then in verse 7, he writes, For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wing I will sing for joy. David says, When I think of the Lord, I remember that He always helps. He is always there for me. In times of difficulty, when I'm in the wilderness, I can turn to God for help. And in the shadow of His wings, that phrase, in the shadow of His wings, in a place of safety, The shadow of his wings is a place of refuge and safety. David remembers, he meditates on the truth that God helps, that God provides a place of safety. And again, that brings satisfaction and joy into his heart. And and it flows out of his mouth in praise. He sings for joy because he remembers the Lord will help. The Lord will be this place of security and satisfaction and safety. He has nothing to fear in the desert while people are chasing him down. And that's true for Philip and Nicole and the Buckbinders and you and I. If we're 
God's people. We need to think about the Lord, remembering who He is and what He's done for us. Knowing that no matter what our situation, no matter who's seeking to destroy our life, God will help. God will provide the place of safety. The man or woman after God's own heart constantly thinks about the Lord. And finally, and maybe most importantly for all of us, the man or woman after God's own heart must cling to the Lord. Cling to the Lord. Verse 8, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. That word cling has sort of two ideas to it. It has the idea that maybe our English word cling most represents, that idea of holding on to, I'm clinging to something. But the Hebrew word also includes the idea of pursuing after. I'm clinging to it and I'm pursuing after it. I'm clinging to it and I'm pursuing after it. David, the man after God's own heart, with all his soul, his innermost being, both clings, he holds on to, and then he pursues after the Lord with everything he has. This is a final word to those who were sending out uh, as church planners and to each one of us who remain. We must, we must, we must cling to the Lord. He is our anchor. He is our rock. When all other things fail, we can cling to Him. We must in times of trouble and times of tranquility, the good times and the bad, cling to Him. And when we cling to Him, David says, his right hand upholds us, uh, upholds me, upholds us too. He sustains me. He's the only one who satisfies, who helps, who provides safety. So David in the wilderness, fleeing from someone, some group of people who are trying to destroy his life, gives us the response of a man after God's own heart. His response is not one of fear. It's not one of despair. It's not one of hopelessness. His response is, now we need to get this. I hope, I hope we've seen it. His response is, no matter what, everything is about the Lord. It's all about the Lord. His, he focused completely on the Lord. He didn't focus on his circumstances. He focused on the Lord. He sought after the Lord. He gazed upon the Lord. He experienced the love of the Lord. He worshiped the Lord. He was satisfied by the Lord. He thought about the Lord. And finally, he clung on to the Lord. And these are the words of encouragement and exhortation that I would give to Philip and his team. And the rest of us as well. Be like David in the wilderness. Be people after God's own heart. Focus on the Lord in the good times, in the bad times, in times of trouble, in times of tranquility. When church planning becomes difficult, and it will, when it seems like the enemy is closing in and your life, uh, at least spiritually, is on the line, focus all of your energy on the Lord. Turn to Psalm 63. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to Philip. Turn to Psalm 63 in, the, in those moments and remember David was in the wilderness in a great time of difficulty when he wrote these amazing words of encouragement, of, of Lord-focusedness, if I can make up words. These are words of hope in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Now we're going to do two final things. This, that's the end of the sermon. It's kind of abrupt, but that's it. That's all I got. 
We're going to do two final things this morning. In just a minute, we're going to pray for the crosses and the buckbinders. We're going to actually put them, we've done this before, don't feel weird about it. We're going to put them in the sort of middle there and we're going to come around them as a church in a minute, hold on, as we send them forth. But first, I'm, I'm going to ask Philip, the, the leader, to come, to come up here, if he would. We as a church will be part of, uh, of sending out Philip, but, but we'll also be a part of uh, supporting his ministry. We, we're still working out the details, how that's going to look financially, with equipment, all, all that stuff. So we as a church will be part of sending out and supporting Philip as he begins this church planning venture in Moreno Valley. But for right now, we do have a symbolic... So we'll be, we'll be giving you other stuff, just so you're clear. That's what he's after. Just kidding. But right now, we do have a symbolic gift uh, that, that we at Bridges would like to give Philip. And uh, John, Elder John Byers is going to bring it up. It's a, it's a shepherd's staff. Now, I don't, I don't know if, if uh, twice makes a tradition, but if you remember back five years or so ago when I was uh, given the privilege of being the pastor, the elders gave me a, a similar one. This is a different one. I didn't give him mine. <laughs> I, kept, I kept mine. The shepherd's staff represents a, a number of things to me, and I think just biblically. First, it represents the gratitude we have as a church for what Philip has done with our youth, how he shepherded our youth. We appreciate that. Second, it represents the role that he's going to take on as the pastor, the shepherd. If you don't know that word pastor, just sort of means shepherd of the church plan in Moreno Valley. He's going to take on that role as shepherd. And third, it reminds us of the shepherd David that we've been talking about, the man after God's own heart. I'd like to think as Philip looks at this staff, as he mounts it on his wall, and his, no, I'm just kidding, whatever he does with it, that he thinks about being a man after God's own heart as he shepherds his people. But more than anything, it represents, I believe, the Lord as our the Lord as Philip's shepherd. Philip, as we commission you to the ministry of church planting, we call upon you to follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, who said in John ten eleven, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus on the cross laid down his life for those that would be that were and would be his sheep. Now you as a shepherd must follow his example. You must follow his example by laying down your life for, for your sheep, whoever those sheep are, the sheep of Merino Valley. You don't have to die on the cross. Jesus has taken care of that. You don't have to pay for anybody's sins. Jesus has done that. But you have to still be willing to lay down your life, to lay down your time and your sleep, to lay down your finances, to lay down your pride, maybe the most difficult thing to do. You must lay down your life for the sake of your sheep and for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as, bridges, so as we as bridges present this staff to you as a symbol of the ministry of shepherding that God is calling to you, we just want to express our, 
our appreciation to you and, and just uh, I think it's okay if we even if we even clap and say thank you for So if I could ask the rest of the team, maybe Philip, if you could go out there, sort of in the front, middle-ish kind of, and if I could ask the rest of the team, his team, to come out, uh, his wife, uh, this is Nicole, and, and the Buckbinder family, who, whoever might be here, just come out, maybe go this way, spread yourselves out in this aisle here. This is, this is just, if you're a visitor here, this is the weirdest thing we do. There's nothing, <laughs> nothing else. Just to don't get panicky here. And, and I would just ask us to stand and move in on them and lay your hands upon them. And what we're going to do, I'm going to pray. And then if a couple other people would like to pray, and I've asked uh, uh, our, 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 uh, I've asked Charlie Brown to close us in prayer after a few people have prayed. So I'll give Charlie this. So I'm going to pray, and then if a couple other people would like to pray, and then Charlie's going to close us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for what you're accomplishing in the life of Philip and Nicole, the Buckbinder family, uh, that you've brought them to this day and to this place, and that we're sending them forth, Lord. And I pray uh, your hand upon them, your hand of blessing, your hand of encouragement, your hand of comfort, your steadfast love will be ever-present in their life in their hearts, Lord. I pray that you would just prepare uh, things for them, details and things, Lord. And I just ask uh, for the love of Christ to, to flow out of them as they seek to, to be your representatives in Reno Valley. 